Now he has a hit tool that's going to make him, you know, a really has a potential to be a really special hitter. You know, he he has advanced plate coverage, flashes of plus power. He's probably going to have slightly above average power in games. Really good bat speed, good arm, all the things you want in shortstops. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, and it's Jesse Sanchez Day on the podcast. Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com, he covers the international signing so well, I hope I get this right, Jesse, that they call it Jesse Sanchez Day. I haven't heard it referenced that way on MLB Radio Network. Uh, Yeah. so, (laughs) So this is Jesse Sanchez Day Part 2 as we have you on to talk about the international signing period. Um, Jesse's a great friend. Uh, He and I have been to some remarkable places together, uh, to the Dominican, to Havana, a very memorable evening riding in a pink convertible through the streets of Havana, right? Right. Ladies' night. They were when Cool in the Gang's ladies' night was blasting as they're riding through this convertible. It was uh, crazy. It was funny. And I, uh, I'm sitting here in the Treehouse Studios, as we call it, but really just my desk. And I have a treasured copy of Old Man in the Sea that you sent me um, from a, another trip that you made to Havana because we could not find it that night. So thank you right. very much for that. It's right here prominently with, with some of my other favorite books. Um, and so I'm so excited to, to have this chance, first of all, just to talk with a friend. Happy New Year. Um, but also to talk about this, this event in baseball that usually happens on July 2nd, usually Mm -hmm. is maybe overshadowed a bit as the trade talks and trade deadline come into view. And there are, you know, 15 games going on at the same time. Um, But it really kind of had the stage to itself this year because of the lockout. But because this wasn't major league deals, they were able to continue with it. Um, It was delayed for a second time, right, because of the pandemic to start on January 15th, right? Correct. Correct. First, thanks again. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. We, we have definitely had some good times across the globe. I do remember picking up that book, walking the streets of Havana to bring it back to you. Uh, you're, you're one of the best, if not the very best. So it's, a, it's an honor to be on here with you, buddy. But uh, as far as the whole Jesse Sanchez day, I, kinda, I laugh about it because <laughs> it's, awesome. uh, it's, it's funny. It's neat. But, you know, I mean, I, I'll I'll it's a badge of honor. You know, it's, a, it's actually a privilege for me, the way I view it, to write about these international prospects, you know, to shed light on an important part of baseball, to talk about kids who maybe their first language is Spanish and we're able to communicate because um, I can speak Spanish and and uh, just share with the world their stories, because these are going to be the future stars of baseball. And from a baseball standpoint, you know, you think about the way teams acquire talent, you know, whether it's free agency, minor league free agency, you know, trades, the domestic draft, all these different ways, the wire, you know, waiver wire, the international signing period that starts on January 15th and runs through December 15th is just as important as the rest of these mm-hmm. other ways of acquiring talent because this is how ultimately you want to get a star, right? You're looking for a, a star who's going to make it to the big leagues early or make to the big leagues in his early 20s and, and help change your franchise. But there's also a component. The reality is they also help fill out minor league rosters. You know, they these are prospects who are packaged as part of trades to bring 
big league players back to your to your team with the hopes of winning a, a championship. So I can't stress how important it is to the international signing period just for baseball, for baseball fans. And I think you do a great job, and I think it's really catching on across the media landscape of how important it is. So we are seeing more coverage of these international prospects when they sign at 16, 17, you're hearing their names. And then you can follow them through their path, follow them through the minor leagues. You you follow them to when they make their big leagues. So a kid makes his big league debut at 21 or even 23 or, or later, you've been hearing about him since he was 16 or 17. And I think that's really cool the way folks are paying attention to that because, uh, like I said, it's an important part of the game. It started, it's always was on July 2nd, but because of the pandemic, it was changed to January 15th. This is the second year in a row. Um, you know, adjustments had to be made, and and international baseball is no exception. They had to make some adjustments to the date. I knew that uh, we'd be covering signings, and I knew a couple of the signings that the Cardinals expected. I know <clears> you had <throat> reported particularly that they would go after or that they had agreements in place with two top 30 players, um, Jonathan Mejia and the catcher Rodriguez, Venezuela, right? Uh, yes. Luis, Luis Rodriguez, Rodriguez from, yeah, Luis Rodriguez mm-hmm. from, from Venezuela. Jonathan Mejia is a switch hitting shortstop from the Dominican. Um, so I was ready and I had read up about them and I figured, okay, well, I'm going to write about them. I did not expect my day to also include trying to better understand compulsory military service in South mm-hmm. Korea. Um, but that's the the opportunity that the international kind of market allows for is learning a whole bunch of things from new pockets of the globe. You know, a year ago, the Cardinal signed a shortstop from the Bahamas and it was like, okay, well, what can I learn about the talent level at, at, at you know, in the Bahamas and that growing area of talent that teams are trying to go to. What was different this year, Jesse, uh, as a result of the pandemic, you know, the Cardinals signed a player and we'll talk about him from mm-hmm. South Korea, a teenager outfielder, left, left guy. Um, but they only went to Atlanta to scout him. They didn't have mm-hmm. to navigate the difficulty of traveling in COVID time, you know, abroad internationally to go see him. That was not the case everywhere. I mean, every scout had to take into account the ongoing pandemic, right. And how much they could see guys. Right, exactly. Um, one of the things that really stands out to me, in addition to the talent, in addition to the scouting and, and all the, the elements that deserve credit and we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more, is the perseverance and the resilience of the people involved in the international market. And that means, you know, the prospects themselves, the families of prospects, scouts, um, international directors, front office folks here United, um, based in the United States side. Because the, the pandemic obviously changed everything. And we're talking about countries who were hit the hardest. Some in Latin America were hit the hardest. And it was really difficult in terms of even logistics to get workouts in. Fields were shut down. Uh, you know, a, academies where these guys trained shut down. Um, there was a lot of FaceTime videos keeping up with uh, their trainers or scouts. There's, you know, WhatsApp videos. There's all kinds hmm. of uh, you know, social media to communicate because at the height of the pandemic, what was going on, you know, and then you also factor in how devastating um, it was, you know, to lose family members. Um, prospects lost family members. They're members of the scouting community. We all, we also lost them too. And so as much as 
there was joy. I've never probably in all the years I've covered it felt so the joy that radiated from teams, players, and families during the start of international signing period. There was a little sense of a of a heavy heart because of things, the loss, you know, the changes, the things they went through. There's a sense of joy and a sense of relief, you know. So that that really struck me, like on a definitely a baseball side, but on, on a a human element side. You know, just everything people had to go through to get to this point, to get to the first step, right? To, yeah, to yeah, sign yeah. a pro contract. Now it gets hard, or you can argue it was really hard to get to this point, and the rest will be just baseball, you know? But there was just a lot in play leading up to it. So, you know, I give credit to all those involved, the teams, the, the prospects, the agents, the trainers, um, all the support groups, because uh, it was a difficult time it still is a difficult time to go through and try to, you know, take this next step in your career. And we, it cannot be lost on anybody, on everybody that these people are 16 and 17 years yeah. old. Yeah. They're 16. You know, I mean, at six, just think about when we were 16, we're learning how to drive, you know, we're getting our yeah. first jobs, you know, I'm second groceries, you know, um, you know, we're doing that kind of stuff. And these people, these young men, Young teenagers are making, you know, decisions and actions that are going to change. They hope change the course of their lives, and they're doing it during a pandemic. So it was pretty admirable on all fronts, at least from my side. That's, I mean, I had, I always have a great appreciation for the international market, and I, like I mentioned earlier, it's an honor to to do this and share the stories of Latin players and people from the Caribbean, and but yeah. also, but also uh, Asia and and Europe and. Aruba, all those, it, it means a lot, but maybe more this year than ever, you know, it just really touched me because you just, you see the photos that I post on Twitter and there's just so much joy, mm-hmm. you know, it's just relief and joy. And uh, you see the front office people, relief and joy. I talk to sources, relief and joy, you know, and then it's just a good time. So this is, it's a good time to celebrate, you know, signing and now the work begins. So many of these players too, they they come to these agreements at age fifteen in some cases, right? I mean, like, you know, they, they sign when they're eligible at sixteen and they'll be that's that's something that's important to note is this will be kind of a rolling out of these international classes because they can sign again through, as you mentioned, through December fifteenth. Um, but as they turn sixteen, they're then eligible to sign. But they're signing agreements that are sometimes in place when they're 15 years old. That that only adds to the degree of difficulty when it comes to scouting, um, the competitiveness with it, but also kind of their, their whole scope of a decision was under the umbrella of this pandemic. Exactly right. And, and that's a lot of pressure on a kid. And that's a lot of pressure on a family. And also, Derek, as we all know, baseball is hard. You know, just think of it. it's hard to hit a curveball. It's hard to hit a slider. You know, it's hard to always make the right play. Uh, one of the images that really struck out, that stuck out when I was, you know, visiting the Dominican Republic or Venezuela is I'll see kids, they'll, they'll circle around first base or third base near, you know, where the coach's box would be, and they hug each other and they'll pray. Or they're doing, they're just really trying to encourage each other because they understand what this could mean. There could be a scout in the stands that likes me enough to potentially sign me 
and change the course of my life. So mm. think about that for a 15 year old. Think about that for a 15 and a half year old. Like these are big deals. These are big decisions. That's a lot of pressure on a kid. And then that's why you see when they actually get on the field, it's not necessarily the pressure that gets to them. It might be the inexperience. It might be a mental error here and there, but it's not the pressure. The pressure is getting on the field. The pressure is, you know, the setup. The rest is baseball, and they're really good at baseball. So if you can get past um, those mental challenges, all the stuff that goes into it, the baseball field is their safe place. So that's where you see the talent. Jonathan Mejia, uh, switch hitter from the Dominican, was the Cardinals' highest bonus signing. Um, he also got the highest bonus of any player as young as him. He's 16, um, really in the early days of 16, exceeded more than twice, for example, what the late Oscar Tavares got. And how competitive was that shortstop market? Uh, when when you think about it, he, number of switch hitting shortstops, I think eight of the top 10 or eight of the top 12 were shortstops. Obviously, shortstop's a premium position because the players playing shortstop now can move to second base eventually or third base. Best players on the field at age 16 are going to be playing shortstop mostly. Um, but how competitive was that shortstop field, and what can you tell us about Mejia? Well, Mejia, I think you mentioned it. Now, he has a hit tool that's going to make him, you know, a really has the potential to be a really special hitter. You know, he, he has advanced plate coverage, you know, flashes of plus power. He's probably going to have slightly above average power in games, really good bat speed, good arm, all the things you want in shortstops. And the thing that, as you touched on, shortstops, middle infielders, particularly, specifically shortstops and center fielders are probably the uh, the most signed prospects during the international signing period. And the reason is a lot of times, as we all know, they're extremely athletic and they can play multiple positions. As we all know, it's not unusual for a, someone to start, start at shortstop and end up at third base. It's not unusual for a center fielder to end up in right field or left mm-hmm. field. Or remember, uh, teams are signing them at 16. So they still have a lot of growth in them. There's tons of uh, body changes that still happen. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is uh, think about Eloy Jimenez. Yeah. Uh, He's, he's a guy who was a wiry, lean kind of athlete, right? And he is... Yeah, I remember uh, him but, in the Futures game, right? Yeah. Right, right. I think by that time he was already playing in the corner, but I think he had center field potential at this age. So what? I guess what I'm just trying to say is bodies change. Yeah. And, pe- and people, you know, you project them to stay in the middle, but you also understand they could be better suited for different positions. And uh, as far as the uh, shortstop market, this was like one of the deepest classes. The talent was there. I think it happens in the draft. It happens on the international side. Shoot, it even happens in high school, right? Some of our our high school, our, our neighborhood high school teams are better with some years than others. And this was one of those years where the international market was very deep. And the Cardinals did a good job of identifying folks, um, signing them and putting them in the system. I think you as well know better than anybody what their hit track record is, who they have signed and how, what kind of success they had, whether it's the current organization or the next organization. 
Yeah. Well, what is the what is the opinion of the, I know the Cardinals have worked. I mean, going back really now about fourteen years, thirteen years. You know, the Cardinals jetted off from spring training to the Dominican Republic. Uh, Moselak, who was newly the general manager at that time, Jeff Lunau, who was in, in charge of expanding and increasing their presence and asserting the Cardinals' presence in that market. Um, I remember them flying off from spring training to go meet with the uh, the representatives of the players um, who act as agents to kind of conf- you know to kind of sell them on the idea that the Cardinals wanted to be players. Um, they found that like some of their offers were basically dismissed, you know, like, Oh, the Cardinals aren't really going to follow through on that. Or the Cardinals aren't really engaged in this, or they're not going to be a a high dollar spender in this market. The Cardinals wanted to change that perception. Here we are 13, 14 years later. um, You know, they've had Carlos Martinez arrive, be part of a team that goes off to the world series. Uh, they had Oscar Tavares, obviously uh, a tragic ending to his rise. Um, he was just a supreme um, prospect and had all the look of being an impact middle order hitter at some point in time. Um, but they've got contributions from a larger presence and more investment in the international market. So what is their reputation out there? They're, they're not huge spenders, but are they considered savvy spenders you know i think you mentioned it first when the general manager expresses a commitment he sets the tone for the organization uh what uh Zalak's influence was a big deal you know when when the boss man says international is a big deal mm-hmm. that goes a long way so a good cre- i mean lots of credit to the organization up way up top i think when moises rodriguez um, yeah. He's assistant general manager. He also had a lot to do with their success. He's a guy who who's probably going to be a GM one day. You know, mm-hmm. he can he can do a lot of different things. He does the folks on the international side. They can scout. They have to be familiar with analytics. They negotiate. They do all the things that a general manager would do. So I, I'm I'm keeping an eye out for guys like Moises and others who are in the international world who move into the GM role role because they do that already. AJ Preller is a good example of someone who's done that. Uh, but like, as you as you asked, the Cardinals reputation, they have a reputation of a hardworking, uh, honest organization that people want to play for. Um, and again, I think they set the tone with the leadership and that trickles down all the way down to the bird dogs in the Dominican or in the, uh, of the Pueblos in the Dominican Republic, in the mm-hmm. small towns in Panama and ac- across the globe. So, uh, you know, I think what happens sometimes is, you know, we think about the big market teams who have a large history on the international market, whether it's the Dodgers who were pioneers, the Expos who were the, also one of the first teams, now Nationals, who've really kept that tradition, um, Mets, both Chicago teams, Red Sox. I mean, there are people that there are teams that certain people might think of as, you know, people who've established their reputation in Latin America and international. And that's true. But there's also an emerging group that has been doing well and they're finally receiving their due. Teams like the Cardinals, teams like the Reds, teams like the Pirates. Um, I mean, go on and on about the uh, the Orioles are a team that have emerged. And what yeah. that tells and what that tells me is every organization 
understands the importance of the international market. And if you're not involved and if you're not trying to get players, you're, you're not maximizing the market, you know, because yet maybe you won't get the next 19 or 20 year old who's going to be in the big leagues, but you will get minor league players or you will get people who you can package as part of a deal, or you will get a guy who's 25 years old and is an everyday player. So to ignore the international market is to not really you know, maximize all your opportunity. And taking it back to the Cardinals, I think they've recognized that. And I can, you know, talking from, you know, their scouts on the ground in the Dominican Republic all the way up to the GM, it's an un they have an understanding that if we are going to compete, we need to maximize all parts of the game and the international is a part of baseball and we're, and we're going to do it. So, you know, you know, I'm impressed with what they do down there. They are a very active team. And do they sign the four or five million dollar player every year? No. But do they sign 30 guys and, you know, invest their money wisely, understanding that some are going to they're going to hit on some of these. They're not going to hit on some of these. Yes, there's just an understanding there with the organization of the international market. And uh, hey, if you're a Cardinals fan, pay attention because pay attention to these international signs because in a few years, they're going to be on your team or they're going to be part of a trade piece that brings you back a championship player. Yeah, they, you know, the Cardinals were involved with Luis Robert, who signed with the White Sox. That's probably the most prominent recent player that they bid on in the international market you don't you don't hear them tied too often to that high dollar high bonus kind of top five player do you no not really and, and i i tell you that that speaks to louis he turned out to be a pretty good player right 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 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he turned out to be a pretty good player so the, the cardinals were in yeah you know yeah. uh so that that says that talks speaks to their judgment that speaks to, hey, you know, we might not be known as the big spenders all the time, but this is a guy we think can help us. So they went in. So I don't know. I think if you're a, you follow the Cardinals, you see what they did, you know, kind of in that bidding war in the beginning for the right player. Yeah. You understand that they're doing their homework. And uh, just pay attention because these guys are going to show up for your team, maybe for others because they could get traded. I think, as we know, sometimes they trade guys. Right. Yeah, that's right. Well, they turn players into somebody who can help them more immediately. You're right. I mean, that that's something not to be lost in this. The Cardinals did generate local headlines. Not sure how much attention it got nationally, but it, but it was a, a momentous signing, I think, you know, locally because it was the first player, amateur player from Asia to sign with the Cardinals. And that's Won Bin Cho outfielder from South Korea, 18 years old, uh, came over, participated in a power showcase and really got a lot of attention there. Um, got, you know, made news in South Korea when he removed his name from the KBO draft this past August, then came to Atlanta to do some showcases and play in some games and, um, be there for scouts to see, uh, the Cardinals, as they say, had some heat, uh, to see him. Moises Rodriguez was a part of that going there. Matt Slater, uh, special assistant to the general manager was there. Um, he's been very active in making the Cardinals a, a, a bigger presence and, and to expand their scouting in Asia. Um, and they signed him 
was was he considered for the top 30 or because of his unusual route into the international market would he have not been considered for the top 30 prospects well Derek, that's a great question and the reality is you know the international top 50 is made up from players from all across the globe i know it's primarily dominican republic and venezuela but if you look up and down you can see players from panama aruba curacao nicaragua um we'd like to include players from asia um and really europe um uh, there was a, a couple of years we had a player from italy yeah. and so on that on, on the list and so it, it's a lot of fun to put it together the reality is you know as you know i take a lot of pride in this you know i'm a reporter i'll never pretend to be a scout that is an extremely difficult job but i've been a reporter for 25 years so i uncover all stones ask as many questions as i can and that, <clears throat> i try to give the reader who deserves my best the best evaluation but i do miss on players sometimes i there's only 50 players that i can put on this list before it was 30 and around 1200 signed each year wow. so they're going to be players who don't make our top 30 or this year top 50 and maybe juan bencho is, is one of those players and so he was definitely considered he didn't make it this time um if he's like a player like i would know or like someone who would be like me like Oh, Jesse didn't put me on the list. I'm going to show him. And then he yeah, goes <laughs> on and he goes on and he has a great career. So maybe that should be a positive, but it's nothing personal, obviously. But I really try to include countries, all kinds of different countries, and I do my best. And, you know, he didn't make it this time. He was definitely up for consideration, you know. But, uh, you know, I wish him all the best. And if it makes folks feel any better, once upon a time, I still get a hard time for ranking Fernando Tatis at number 29. You know, there are people on Twitter, uh, 29 of 30. You know, there's folks who, who still give me a hard time. Like, hey, didn't you rank uh, Juan Soto like 24? I was like, yes. Hey, you he should was just say, hey, I ranked him, didn't I? Come on. <laughs> right, right. You're, so, you're uh, welcome for the motivation. Yeah, exactly. So maybe I'm bulletin board uh, stuff for all these players I didn't rank, but uh, maybe they, they don't even read this. But uh, I'm told uh, one bin Cho, and that's how you pronounce it. It's one as in one okay. uh, or to what you do to a game. And then bin mm-hmm. um, one bin Cho, because I, I did some background work and I wanted to make sure if I was going to ask about him that I also pronounced his name correctly. So I'm glad I did that. Uh, he, uh, you know, um, he's a driven young man, um, mm-hmm. as as he revealed by opting out of the KBO and and kind of really betting on himself in in a new country to him um, moving here and doing the showcases, finding games to play in. So kind of moving from team to team, not always with the same team, just to showcase his ability, not always against the best competition, but against whatever competition he could find. Just a fascinating kind of idea that, that he really bet on himself to make this happen. Um, if bonuses are any indication, do you think bonuses help kind of tell where teams think players slot, you know, is that kind of, the, that's where kind of the, the, the money meets the ranking, right? If teams can kind of give an, give their view of where players rank by the, the bonus they receive. Is that fair to say? I mean, it definitely plays a factor, right? I mean, yeah. the market dictates how much you're going to give a player, but it's not the determining factor. It wasn't like a, so for example, 
our number one, Arias, received $4 million, and the number two, uh, Christian Vaquero, received four point nine. So, And if you go wow. kind of go up and down the list, um, like we have a, the uh, list on MLB.com, it's yeah. not it's not all like based in an in order of bonus. It's based in order of uh, evaluations, reporting, and uh, that's just what it is. And the big bonus, as we know, it happens in draft, and it happens when you sign a big league contract. It doesn't always guarantee anything. Sometimes yeah. it's a late draft kid. Sometimes it's a, a $10,000 bonus, international bonus guy. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's not a guarantee of anything. There's probably some pressure and more attention that come with a big bonus. And yeah. I think I'm not saying that's even that's a, necessarily a good thing. But that's just kind of how it is. But um, I don't know. I, I would say just because a person, the size of a bonus does not make a player. You know, the player yeah. makes the player makes the player. And at 16 years old or 17 years old, you have an idea of who they're going to be. And you just pay close attention as they develop. And that's going to be an indication of what their value is, you know? Yeah. So, uh, again, it's, it's, it's super interesting. I really enjoy writing about the international market. It's a lot of fun. I mean, like I said, it's an honor for me to share these stories and, and I'm really glad folks like you, um, are also writing about the international because, uh, it's such an important part of the game. Several of the guys that the Cardinals signed, particularly Mejia and Cho, um, have frames, strong frames, especially for their age. You're talking about a 16 year old who, you know, already is listed at six foot one eighty. Uh, Cho has was a former pitcher who committed himself to hitting and put on some strength, and he's got tremendous size already from the left side. So you're talking about power potential from both of those young men, especially as they grow into the you know their adult strength, and that'll be something that will happen there on the, at the Cardinals Academy there in the Dominican, or in Cho's case, likely at the Florida Compact league but both of them will be around in march and we'll get a chance to see them in person be remiss jesse not to leave with this question because it is on the table when the two sides meet um if they ever do meet in person here in the new near future but as the union and as the owners exchange the framework for a new cba an international draft is being discussed that was something that was mentioned in the most recent proposal from the owners to the union, it's something that's been discussed a lot in the last decade, I would say. Um, the owners seem to be moving in that direction. Are you a proponent of that? Do you do you think that that will bring some, some additional kind of clarity to this market, that it will help the international market to have an international draft? You know, I think that's um, clarity, a safe place for players to be evaluated, fairness, even playing ground is what everybody is seeking. You know, um, personally, um, I'm willing to operate and do uh, January 15th or any day, <laughs> whether it's a the similar system now with pools or draft. You know, that's, you know, I, I think I'd kind of be speaking out of turn either way if I say like one way or another, because I'm going to do it either way, mm -hmm. you know, because, uh, that's just kind of how we roll. I think, you know, as reporters, we operate within the system that we're given. You know, we operate within a clubhouse. Yeah. If it's Zoom, we're doing Zoom. If it's, <laughs> you know, if we ha if we get players behind the field pregame for 10 minutes, that's what we're going to do. And we adjust. 
so I do know that, and as you mentioned, the international draft has been, you know, discussed and there's people who are for it um, because they feel like it'll, it'll even the playing field for mm-hmm. teams. And there are people who are against it because it'll feel like it'll even the playing field for teams, you know? So right, it's a fascinating subject. Um, it's really too early for any of us to really speak on it. It'd be all speculation at this point. And, and I think, as you know, and I think as we've been trained, speculation just leads to trouble. So we'll yeah. kind of just, we'll just kind of wait for the facts and, and roll with it. I, I'm intrigued by the international draft from the perspective that I think it will continue what's already happening. And what I think you've been a part of Jesse, I'm going to give you a compliment here. I think the strong coverage that you've brought to this, um, the baseball America's brought to this and the increasing coverage that it gets at, you know, newspapers around because, you know, newspapers are competitive and we're trying to compete with you. Uh, you know, I think that's brought more attention to the international market and helped bring some clarity to what was an area where, you, you know, teams wondered, uh, players wondered, you wondered who was trying to take advantage of the system a little bit. And with more attention, there's less of that taking place, um, I think, you know, or I hope. And we've seen front office front offices punished for their actions in the international market. We've seen jobs lost um, because of the international market. And I think in a way, you, you know, the reporters covering it and doing a good job of that and being on the, you know, there at the fields to talk to the players have become watchdogs in effect to make sure the system operates better than it did without without the questions it once had. And so maybe it isn't an international draft isn't needed to come you know, shine more light on it because I think that light was already shined by reporters like you. Well, if, if anything, that's, that's great to hear. And, you know, I appreciate the compliments and as uh, I just do, that's very kind of you. But I think as we know, we're just, we're just doing our job, right? Yeah. And we're doing our job. And yes, there's a, per- as a being a reporter and before this turns into the reporter writing podcast, I'll just keep it brief that um, <laughs> we try to do our job. Right. And we take pride in doing our job and being fair and treating people right and not having agendas and just, uh, you know, understanding that there are readers out there, that there are viewers out there who care. And that's who we work for. And, you know, if we have, you know, different impacts on the side that as a result of our work, well, you know, that's that's also cool. But that's not really our mission. You know, our mission is to uh, be fair do a good job and uh, shed some light. But on a personal note, I definitely take a lot of pride in writing about the international market. It brings me joy to share these stories of the international players and uh, Spanish speaking players who might not have a voice in some of these uh, stories because uh, they are an important part of the game now and they're gonna be an important part of the game in the future. That's Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com. We're talking about Jesse Sanchez Day. The international signing period opening, opened this past weekend. Cardinals signed 12 players headlined by Mejia and Cho, who we've talked about here. But the whole signing period continues on through December 15th, so there'll be more members of the class. That means there's more reason to check out Jesse Sanchez's coverage there at MLB.com. And there's every reason to go out and get a Jesse Sanchez rookie card, right? from the Allen and Ginter 2021 set. I still 
need to get mine autographed. Will, will you do that? Will you sign my my Jesse Sanchez rookie card for me there, Bo? Of course. But, when I see you in Phoenix, just have your five bucks ready, and uh, <laughs> we'll start negotiating there. All right, all right, that that's good. We, we'll, it'll be a, uh, an auction. That'll be exactly yeah. what we need. All right, cool. So you can find Jesse Sanchez's work at nmlb.com. You can find Jesse Sanchez's rookie baseball card on eBay or in packs of 2021 Allen Ginter. Um, I hope you have enjoyed get, having that card, pal, because there's so many. You get all the letters and everything, and and a bunch of kids signing. I, I hope it's, uh, I hope you've gotten a, a really good experience, and and that your your son has, has gotten a kick out of it too. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure for our entire family to uh, read letters from, you know, collectors from kids, and and you can tell their kids because of the handwriting. You know, yeah. I have three, I have three kids, and I know what their that handwriting looks like, and they're like, you know, Mr. Sanchez, I read your stories and they're super complimentary and, and they talk about the love of the game and that's where we connect, you know? So I'm always happy to connect with people like us, you know, yes, we're reporters and yes, we do our job, but we're still fans of the game. You know, we love, we love this game and there's an appreciation for this game. So you get a letter from a kid or an adult or a mom or a grandma or, or whoever, and they ask to sign your card, you know, I do it immediately and I send them a thank you card because it's a, it's an honor to connect to folks and, it's been a really neat experience for all of us. Well, Jesse, you're, you're a great reporter. You're a greater friend. And I, I really appreciate you taking this time to chat with me here on the podcast. And I cannot wait to uh, see you in person. Get my right. best to your family. And thank you so much for joining me here. All right, brother. Thank you so much for having me. See you soon. Right, yeah, I hope so. Hope so. I hope we'll, uh, we'll see each other at a ball game soon. A special thanks to Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com for joining me here to talk about the international signing period. You can find all of Jesse's work and the top 50 prospects that he ranked, plus where so many of them signed and the bonus that they signed for at MLB.com. You can find the best podcasts in baseball anywhere you get your podcasts, including iTunes, where you can rate the podcast. You can review the podcast. Seriously, I listen. I go and check those to see what we can do better, what we should do more of. You know, I, I look for those kind of suggestions anywhere I can find them for what direction you want the podcast to go. So you can also find the best podcast in baseball and all of the constant Cardinals coverage at stltoday.com. That's where you'll find the chats, the columns, all the work from Hall of Fame writer Rick Hummel because the, the lockout has stopped baseball, but it has and stopped baseball coverage. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you as always by Closet by Design of St. Louis. And along with the coverage, the podcast will continue through this lockout too. Look forward to talking to you soon. Stay tuned, stay informed, stay healthy.